I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, in this episode, we are going to cover how to interview and hire PTs and OTs, physical therapists and occupational therapists for your private practice in 2023. I'm Dave Kittle. This is the Dave Kittle Show. I'm the owner of Concierge Pain Relief, home physical therapy in the New York City area, and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice. And we're putting out content like this to help practice owners just like you be nimble and grow. And eventually, if you want to, exit, retire, change ownership. Anyway, let's get into what is working for me in my practice. We have a mobile concierge practice, but regardless of the structure of practice, regardless of if PTs, OTs, and SLPs, whatever it might be, outpatient, in the home, concierge, travel, Medicare Part B, whatever. We're going to get into what is working for me. Here's my structure. This is the structure that my business partner and my mentor, Sturdy McKee, has helped me with. You can check him out, sturdycoaching.com. This is not a plug for him. This is how he's helped me refine a process. So interviewing and hiring, it's a challenge right now. It's a big challenge for practice owners all the way across the country. Let's just start with the initial touch point. The initial touch point would be unless they did a rotation with you or there was some word of mouth component or they reached out to you, they contacted your website, they called into your clinic, whatever. However it is, they inquire, there's an an inquiry from a potential candidate and they come into your orbit, they come into your world, whatever it might be. The next step after that, what we do is we send them an FAQ document, a frequently asked questions document. Now, the reason why we do this is because there's questions around mobile and concierge and travel to patients' homes or apartments. And there's these questions that we would get from candidates. And what we did is we documented it into, I think it's like seven or eight pages, not that long, but it's a PDF. And we send it to a candidate when they inquire. We send that to them first over email or LinkedIn message but at that point, usually we have their email address and we say, please read this, review this at least once, if not more than once, understand everything in here because the next step is a 15 minute phone screen. So that is the, the first touch point after they get a frequently asked document report or a file over email or LinkedIn messaging is we schedule a 15 minute phone screen. Another reason that this has helped me from sturdy helping me with this process is there's a lot of challenge with recruiting and interviewing out there. But then also, you ever noticed, have you ever been in a position where you get on a untimed call with a candidate and maybe they just start talking a lot or they're asking you questions that you as the practice owner believe that they should have already known the answer to? Like, for example, they should have checked out your website already. They should have looked at your location you should have done some preliminary research and education so that they are better equipped to shine and do well on the first time that they're speaking to you or your HR person, your hiring manager, your front desk, your clinic director, whoever is doing the whole interviewing and hiring process, whether that's you or someone on your team, 
And obviously, as you get larger, maybe you're at the end of the interviewing process to make the hire, like the the acceptance, the offer letter, whatever, we're going to get into that. Whoever does this first part, what we do is what I'm doing, 15-minute phone screen. So when we schedule this call, we'll call them. And it's a timed phone call to make sure that it makes sense for us to then schedule a 60-minute interview. Now, what we do, because we're mobile concierge, we don't have a brick and mortar office. What we're doing is we're doing Zoom video calls, a 60-minute Zoom video call, if they pass the 15-minute phone screen. The 15-minute phone screen, we can do other episodes about it, but really, it's just a very few high-level questions, making sure that at a high level, preliminarily, that their core values match our core values, but you kind of get into that in the full interview. It's really just to make sure that they understand that we're on the same page. They understand what we're offering. Maybe you're hiring full-time only. Maybe you're hiring part-time or PRN only. You want to make sure that you and the candidate are on the same page. 15 minutes, really tight phone call. And if someone gets excited, whether you get excited and forget, or the candidate gets excited and kind of rambles on and forgets, you got to, you know, steer them and remind them like, hey, you know, this is just a 15 minute phone screen, really just to make sure that this is worth both of our time to invest our time in the next step, which for what we do is a 60 minute Zoom interview. If you have a brick and mortar office, it's probably a 60 minute in-person interview. And that first interview might be with your clinic director or regional manager, or it might even be with yourself, depending on how large your practice is. So at that point, 60-minute Zoom video call. Sturdy McKee has helped me with an assessment process, but high level, I'll give a little... Maybe in future episodes, I can screen share it and show you. But really what it is, is there's a series of questions that we have established core values. And I asked the candidate questions about their experiences, and it relates to our core values. And their response would be, if Basically, it's obvious, like if their experiences and their beliefs and their worldviews and all of that aligns with our core values at our practice. And so in that 60-minute Zoom interview, it's close enough. Nowadays, after COVID, it's close enough to do this video. I believe, obviously, in-person, fully in-person is like the best thing. And that's all mostly what you're going to do if you have a brick-and-mortar office. But if you're mobile or concierge, then you might be doing... Zoom video interviews. I strongly suggest Zoom video interviews for this as opposed to a 60-minute phone call because you can see uh, if they grimace, if they look away, if they um, make a face at some kind of a comment or a question, you kind of gauge their responsiveness. You kind of gauge their, their level of seriousness or motivation. Do they get dressed up a little bit for the phone call or are they wearing like, like a gym shirt or something. And maybe it depends. Maybe that's fine if you have a, you know, a powerlifting physical therapy practice or if you have a practice that has a lot of, you know, weightlifting and and all that. Great. Awesome. But on a video, you get to see a lot more of that and obviously in person is is the true thing. So in that 60 minute Zoom interview, we're going over the core values in a way where we're not really we're not ex- I'm not explicitly saying these are our core values, but I'm asking questions that, you know, tell me a time when Tell me about an experience where you had conflict with a previous patient. And a patient could be in rotations. They should have had or a conflict with a clinical instructor or a conflict with a classmate 
or when you had a disagreement or or a challenge with a professor or some coworker or customer from when they were undergrad and they were working somewhere else. You know, tell me about about a time when, etc. So in this 60-minute Zoom interview, the candidate starts to relax. They can, you know, really kind of like let their hair down a little bit more. And you're asking, and you as watching this or listening to this, you're going to have your own uh, approach to this, but you're getting a sense of is this person initially are they the right fit for us to continue after the 60 minute zoom interview so what we do and again i learned this from sturdy which is his structure when he used to have san francisco sport and spine physical therapy they would do this in-person interview but it was more like sitting in an office or at a table in a in a break room in an office in the clinic in the gym whatever it could be if you have team members it could be yourself and another team member with the candidate similar to if you're doing like performance reviews, et cetera. So there's like a clinic director and then yourself maybe, or your clinic director and your HR person, whatever it might be. So let's say that the candidate passes that 60-minute Zoom interview or the 60-minute in-person interview. What Sturdy suggests and then what we do is a second interview, a second interview where they are evaluating you or someone in your office. So they are about, they're coming in for a second interview, knowing that they're going to perform an evaluation, a fake pseudo evaluation. And then you pick the diagnosis, back pain, sciatica, knee pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, whatever it might be, whatever is the condition that your clinic evaluates and treats the most, that would probably be a good idea to pick that condition. If you're a neuro clinic, then the present, the fake eval is going to be, you know, a patient 70, 80 something years old with Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis or balance issues or whatever, and they present with a ambulating with a walker or whatever, whatever it might be. A lot of practice owners kind of mesh those two together. And what works for us is then we're doing that Zoom interview and then we're meeting them in person. So either one of us are going to the physical therapy candidate's apartment here in New York City, or they're coming to us, or we'll find one of my buddies, one of my colleagues that has an office, we'll schedule time to meet at a another company, another practice's brick and mortar office to use their plinth, to use a treatment table and an exam room for one hour. And the candidate evaluates me or, or would be evaluating you or whoever's making your hiring decisions for your practice. And the reason why now some therapists will get like little nervous or, or frazzled, or they will no show or Sturdy gives these examples, they'll no show or cancel this interview, or they literally will just ghost you. They will leave. They will exit the interviewing and recruiting funnel or process with you just completely off the grid. And obviously they just felt themselves out. They just ruled themselves out, which is great. That is great. The reason why this is just obvious is because this potential candidate, if you do hire them, if they do join your practice, they are going to be doing evaluations fairly often, right? Like that is like their number one job function. And then after that is follow-up treatment visits, but like as a physical therapist, as a PT, OT, SLP, you need to assure yourself and your team and your practice and all that and upholding a, some level of quality care that this potential candidate actually knows how to evaluate your common conditions, whether one condition or more, but definitely one of these conditions, one of these diagnoses. And if they have an issue with that, then they are not going to be a great team member, they're not going to be a great team member for your practice if they're nervous, if, they, if they're like 
why do I have to evaluate you? You know, this is no different than when we were in school and we were evaluating our professors and the professors were the fake patients. It's the same thing. They did it. It's a great model. We should do it. It works, right? So you make it happen. If you have a brick and mortar office, it's a lot easier. You could do the Zoom interview for the first 60 minute call, 30, 45 minute call, whatever. Or you could do that first interview in person. And maybe you say these interviews are, you know, 30 to 60 minutes. And if the candidate is not great in the first 20 or whatever minutes, then you can just say, you know, this, this is good enough. And you can, you know, have escort them to the door and say, thank you for your time. And then maybe that's it. And then email them later that, you know, you're going, going in a different direction or whatever it might be, or they stay for the full 60 minutes. So you could say these, the first interview is 30 to 60 minutes, whatever it might be. You can, you know, change that, tweak that, whatever. This is what's working for us right now. So then they, let's say they come, uh, you do the in-person 60 minute evaluation. You give them a little bit, you know, recently what I did is, uh, I said, I said a middle-aged male, right-sided low back pain, right-sided sciatica. And the candidate had to evaluate me based on that, go through a brief subjective, go through everything. They're supposed to do everything, you know, manual muscle test, range of motion, standing, bending over, you know, lumbar screen, questions about ruling any red flags out, et cetera. Then going on the plinth, the treatment table, the bed, if it's home, you know, home, whatever it might be for palpation assessment, mobility testing, assessing joint range of motion in a supine or prone position or sideline position or whatever, whatever it might be. They should go through, they should have all this. You should let them know that you would take them through all of this. And so you're managing their expectations. And here's an interesting thing. I interviewed a candidate recently going through this whole process. And after the 60 minute in-person interview, the candidate said, it's really interesting how you and your practice spend a lot of time with candidates. He said, because the candidate said, I talked to this other practice and after a 15 minute phone call or, or video call with them, they gave me an offer, a dollar, you know, a dollar amount salary offer. And the candidate said to me, you probably do a better job of keeping your therapist longer because you take them through this like longer process as opposed to just having a 15 minute interview call with a ton of therapists and putting out a bunch of different offers. And it's like a pray and spray model. So I didn't realize this when Sturdy was helping me build this whole process. What this has made me realize is that you weed out the folks that are just not that serious about tough things or things that take multiple steps and hurdles. And this is not for everyone. And that's great. And the folks that are looking for the folks that are just looking to get to a quick like salary number or what's my salary and benefits or, you know, whatever, there's some folks, unfortunately, in this world, they just want the path of least resistance. This process that I'm saying right now about interviewing and hiring, this is, this is the path with more resistance and you weed out the folks that just are not going to cut it. And if they don't cut it in this interviewing process, just imagine if they make it through and join your team and are probably subpar with evaluating and treating patients and a whole host of things that then give you more challenging issues in the next one to three months or the next six months or whatever it might be. So after this point, we did the 60 minute in-person interview, the fake evaluation, the candidate evaluates you, or if you're in a brick and mortar office, if you have a front desk person, a billing person, 
one of your other PTs, if they have a real condition that they're dealing with, like if they have some back pain or neck pain, if they have some weekend sports injury or whatever, you can have the option of picking that and saying, Hey, Mary here is a physical therapist and she's has knee pain from weekend basketball, weekend pickup basketball or something. She actually has real knee pain. So that'll be your evaluation. And then you can sit in and kind of watch and listen. And the candidate can evaluate Mary with the actual real knee pain. And then you're watching and you're learning of this therapist's thought process and how they will break down things in terms of the, the evaluation components, patient communications, as simple as like instructions and like, are they professional and courteous about instructions on, oh, can you sit here? Can you go prone? Can you go sideline? Can you turn on your belly? Can you stand back up? Do I have your permission to assess your knee or your shoulder? Can I put my hands on your shoulder? Like, you know, getting patient buy-in and and patient approval and permission. All those things like really can add up. And you'll see that folks that are, that don't have some of those soft skills will kind of just go right in and just start like touching someone's knee and manipulating the knee or their shoulder joint or whatever without even some of that patient experience. And they might be a little bit nervous, but at the same time, this might be on average how they might evaluate and treat patients if they were to be hired by your practice. So at that point, 60 minutes in person of interview, then either in person there before they leave, if you have the time, giving them verbal feedback on the in-person evaluation. So, hey, you did a lumbar screen with me for my fake low back pain. And you know when I flexed forward, you were standing in front of me. So you couldn't really fully see like, wouldn't it have been a better view if you had me turn to the side and bend over to touch my toes or reach towards my toes? So you could actually view and palpate or just view the curvature of my lumbar spine. But if I'm facing, I'm facing you and you have me bend over to assess my lumbar flexion, I don't know if that's like the best use of assessing lumbar flexion from an anterior view, like side uh, lateral view, sagittal plane view would be better, right? Little verbal feedback on that. Anything that they maybe messed up or tripped up on, whatever, like just some verbal feedback on the evaluation. That could also be put in an email. That could also be put in a a follow-up phone call or a follow-up Zoom call. It really depends on your feel for this type of candidate. Like also, do you have the time to do this or did you run out of time and you'll say to the candidate, hey, I'll send you an email or we'll have a call tomorrow or something about the feedback. I'd like to give you some feedback on your evaluation and screen and and assessment and all that. So at that point, let's say the candidate gets to that point, then you can talk about the next step, which is reference checks, not the offer letter. If you're watching or listening to this, I know you were probably thinking, oh yeah, let's get to the offer letter. Reference checks, something that I didn't do earlier on in my career as a practice owner. Sturdy McKee is uh, holding my feet to the fire making sure that you speak, you or your hiring manager, your HR person, your clinic director, whoever's helping you or doing some or all the hiring and interviewing, speaking with three references, speaking with three references, not three voicemails, speaking with three references, or you pass on the candidate. I know this sounds tough. I know this is a tough time right now with recruiting and finding talent out there, but you got to stick with the process. You got to trust the process. Sturdy says, trust the the process. So candidate emails you or maybe it was on their resume. If not, you ask them, they'll email you names 
and phone numbers, not emails, not email addresses of the candidates. We're not doing reference checks over email. I know this is tough, folks. I know all these steps. I know it takes time, but this you're trying to build a relationship, build rapport with a potential candidate that may, if things work out great, they may work with you for three to five to seven plus years, right? If if it all works out. So it makes sense to spend a lot of time up front to find those A players, those, those, the top talent. It takes time. And the, the top talent, they respond very well to this process. They love the structure. They love the organized steps. And the ones that are irritated with these steps, they ghost you, they fizzle out, they don't answer your emails, they show themselves to the door on their own accord. But the ones that are top talent, they love this process. That is the coolest thing that I've noticed with this, going through this and learning a better hiring process and interviewing and the hiring process. So really more about the all the steps in the interviewing process. So at this point, you are calling three references. You're leaving a voicemail potentially because a lot of times the, now the, the candidate should give them a heads up, you know, Dave Kittle, so-and-so, this practice, that practice, whatever. These folks might be calling you. I listed you as a reference. They already checked with that person. That person's like, yeah, sure. I'll be your reference. No problem. So then at that point, you or your hiring manager, whoever is calling those three references, if they don't answer, you're leaving a voicemail asking for a call back. Then you wait a few days or five to seven days or whatever. Then you tell the candidate, hey, I spoke to two of your three references. I spoke with this person and that person, and everything sounds good so far. I left a voicemail for this third reference and they have not gotten back to me. They have not called me back. So what do you do? I just had this happen to me recently. So here's what you do. You asked, or you mentioned to the candidate, what I did is over email. Over email, I said to the candidate, you know, I, I spoke to the first two references. I left a voicemail for the other reference. And now it's been, I think it was close to like four or five business days that the third reference has not called back, which is okay. People get busy, you know, therapists, most of the time, the reference checks are therapists. So they're busy. We're all busy. You know, it might be a, another practice owner, it might be a practice manager, clinic director, or whatever. Everyone's busy, whatever. So you email back the candidate, you say, you know, Hey, candidate, DPT candidate, PTOT, SLP candidate, whatever. I spoke with the first two references. Our process is we need to speak or I need to speak with three references. So I didn't hear from the third reference. And I was wondering if you can provide a fourth reference if your third reference person is busy away or needs a nudge needs a reminder, what, however you want to frame it. And so then in this situation, the, the candidate provided me with a fourth reference, another person's name and phone number. Most of the time, these references are like clinical instructors or current bosses. If they're not, I feel like it should always be a current boss or manager or a previous employer or the third or fourth level clinical instructor. It's got to be some of those. Some of those folks have to be in the mix as opposed to a bunch of undergrads, undergrad stuff and like only the clin ed one instructor. But ideally you want someone that has been with them for two or three months and more recently. And when they've kind of matured more through the, the therapy program, the 
the clinical rotations, et cetera. You know, that's obvious. So then I heard back from the third reference. So then I had, I had spoken to the first, second, and fourth reference, and everything was great. Then I heard back from the third reference. So now I had four touch points, four references. Boom, we hit it, but we were able to move to the next stage. But if you have a candidate and you only speak with one or two references, I really think you should tighten up your process and make sure you speak, you or whoever is making this decision, speak with three references, make it a firm process, then go to the next step. Okay, so now the next step is you got through the reference checks. You, you send an email to the candidate. You say, hey, I spoke with one, two, and three references, or in this case, I spoke with four references. They had great remarks, whatever, whatever, or if there was some concern, whatever, you mention that, or you can speak over a phone call if you need to. Depending on how those references go, then you proceed to the offer letter. If you only got two out of three references, you do not proceed to the offer letter. If you got three references, but there were some concerns, then you would maybe need to insert a phone call or some touch point in this process before an offer letter. Let's say you spoke with three references and everything was great. Now you go to the next step. Now, the next step, offer letter from Sturdy McKee that he helps me with, which is verbalizing. Now, this could be over a phone call. It could be over a Zoom call. Maybe you had done reference checks before the the evaluation process, the second in-person meeting or the evaluation interview. Maybe you did reference checks before that, let's just say. So before that person leaves your presence, before they leave your clinic, your office, whatever, you could at that point, because you've already done the reference checks, you already got your three, you could at that point verbally review the main terms and bullet points of the offer letter, as opposed to what a lot of practice owners do, which is they'll send an offer letter and the candidate gets it and they didn't know what to expect. Maybe it's right on the money. Maybe everything's great in terms of salary or compensation or benefits or whatever, but it's, it's really great to get verbal buy-in or some verbal agreement or some verbal understanding of here's the high level. For example, our offer letter, I verbalized it in person with my candidate recently after, so I had already done the reference checks and then we did the in-person evaluation. And then before we departed from being in the, the same room, I pulled out the offer letter, but I kind of read from it. I wasn't like, here, you read it. I was kind of reading like here, and here's what we do in terms of compensation. It's either this full-time salary or it's this performance pay. And it's kind of one or the other. I also got that from Sturdy McKee. For example, I mean, he sold his practices, I think, in 2020. And then this is going back over the past 10 or 15 or so years. But in his process, hypothetically, if you throw out, if you just throw out random numbers, he would say something like, you know, we budgeted $85,000 salary for this position, for this staff position. Let's just say, I know it might be more or less or wherever you're at in the country. Let's just say fixed salary. We budgeted for this position is $85,000. If you want something up to or at or above $100,000, it's a performance pay based off of, I don't know, 70, 80, $100 per visit, whatever the dollar amount is per visit, you're in network, out of network, whatever it might be, some dollar amount per visit. And the start date 
you're verbalizing, you're getting information to then go insert into the offer letter that evening or the next day and then send it to the candidate. So when they open the offer letter, they actually know what's going to be in there because you've already reviewed it with them. You've reviewed it in a non-confrontational, like a non-confrontational, you've reviewed it in a conversational way. You've reviewed it with them like, you know, hey, so here, you know, here's the dollar amount for continuing education. We cover your malpractice and liability insurance, all the normal stuff. We cover, you know, your health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Days off, PTO, you know, major holidays for us with travel. It's like, here's, you know, your travel radius, zip codes, whatever, certain travel radius, productivity, four to six patients a day, because we're doing home visits and traveling in between general work hours. So whatever your work hours are, you know, we, you open not, you know, seven to seven and you might work, you know, whatever, 40 hours or whatever, we're open at seven, we close at seven. And for, you know, for us, it's other things like we might send patient new cases to you at eight or 9 PM as late as eight or 9 PM to get it to you over text message or email or whatever. You don't have to reply to it that evening. You can reply to it the next day, all of this type of stuff, all of it verbalized, then memorialized inside of the offer letter. But verbalizing the offer letter, you immediately see if there's any hangups, if there's issues, if there's any major questions, you can address them right there in person. And for us with, I took that idea from Sturdy McKee, which is the, the fixed salary option or the performance pay option. So it's like, here's your fixed salary, guaranteed fixed salary. And the reason why it's lower is because fixed salary guaranteed you know, compensation every two weeks. And, you know, some, a lot of therapists like that and they want to rely on that, that paycheck and that's fine. And then there's other therapists that, you know, have a lot of student loan debt or they're just have energy and motivated and, and, and all that. So they want performance pay. And then for us, it's like, you know, you're going to pick one or the other. And so based off of, uh, how many patients they would see, how many workable days in a year, 237 or 240 workable business days. Once you remove holidays, PTO, three or four weeks vacation, the national holidays, weekends, whatever, whatever, all that. So at that point, you have verbalized all of the major components of the offer letter, confidentiality agreement, uh, this, you know, New York State, I'm in New York State. So employees in New York State are considered at will employees, meaning that the employee can be terminated without warning at any time for any reason or no reason at all. There's always going to be a reason they're not treating patients or they having, you know, conflict or issues or not showing up or whatever, whatever. So those types of things, verbalize, then put it in the offer letter. At the bottom of the offer letter, also for what we do is our process is that this offer letter expires in two days, 48 hours. And so whenever you send it out to them, then it expires in 48 hours. And that's the process. And candidates might ask for an extension, but there's no extensions in this process. It's the process. You got to trust the process. And then you move forward one way or the other. And so, yes, there's a lot of steps. Yes, you are adding resistance. You're adding friction because you want to find the diamonds. You want to find the top talent, the really great team members out there. It takes time to do that. But anyway, you're getting that verbal agreement to the offer letter, then you're sending it. And then you're, you know, hoping that they signed it and they, they, you guys have agreed on the start, the start date, which is in the offer letter. And then you start planning for the next step, which would be onboarding, which would be a whole other episode and conversation. 
So that was how to interview and hire physical therapists and occupational therapists for your private practice in 2023. If you find this helpful and valuable, subscribe to your boy here, Dave Kittle Show on YouTube, as well as iTunes and Spotify. We're going to be having more and more folks come on the show in the near future. We're going to be covering things like remote therapeutic monitoring, RTM. We're going to be covering uh, revenue cycle management and more billing stuff. We're going to be covering things that we can share on the screen. So make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel so that you can be notified when new episodes like this pop up into your notification tab. And we'll catch you next time here on The Dave Kittle Show. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.